welcome to the latest Forrester's Northern Law podcast. I'm Miri Stickland, Knowledge Development Lawyer in the Commercial Real Estate team. I'm joined today by construction partner Emily Holdstock. And alongside Emily, we're really pleased to welcome Managing Director Eddie McGillicuddy and Director Chris Gleave from Glencar Construction. So one of the sectors lots of people are talking about at the moment is logistics. Glencar are contractors who are specialists in that sector, and so we're really interested to get their insights. Thanks very much for joining us today. No problem. No worries. Morning. So, Chris, perhaps I could kick off um, by just asking you to give us a brief history of Glencar. Sure thing. Um, thanks for inviting us to this to start with. So, uh, Glencar Construction is in their fifth year of trading. Uh, both Eddie and I have come from backgrounds uh, that we work together on uh, in the mainly industrial markets uh, and sectors, distribution, uh, warehousing and the like. And that was our starting point as a business and, uh, to, to deliver things that we knew uh, from previous. We also saw a gap in the market at the time, four or five years ago, that were for projects that were sub, say, 10 million pound that some of our competitors even today are, are not delivering. So we started our journey delivering those units on those buildings and projects of that size. Obviously, as time has gone by, we've progressed both in terms of size, types of projects that we deliver, um, still concentrating very much in the uh, distribution, industrial, warehousing sector. But as you'd expect, we're looking to diversify into other sectors as we grow. So currently, uh, we employ about 70 staff. And we are turning over at the last year end, at the end of March, approximately 70 million. And we're projecting probably to 130 for the year we're currently trading in. Okay, so Eddie, from a contractor's perspective, what's the logistics market currently looking like? Today, we're not seeing any implications of like this, the, the sort of COVID-19. Obviously, we're outside for a significant amount of developers now. Then, then schemes are progressing as they were. We're seeing slight delays associated with the statutory authorities, but that's probably the only real implication. We're tendering a significant amount. Some of the recent wins have been put on hold, so I think some people are, are just seeing how this pans out. There's talk of a lot of our schemes kicking off in August, September time, where originally they were supposed to be June, July. I think people are just waiting to see what pans out, but generally it's very busy at the moment. We're seeing the, the ones we are delivering, they're generally taken very quickly in terms of tenancies. It's just seemed very robust at the moment. Emily, anything to add from this kind of legal perspective there? Um, I mean, I would echo what Eddie's saying, really. I think the signs are very positive from, from what we're seeing as, as lawyers. As, as Eddie said, we've got lettings on at the moment for logistics space and they're proceeding kind of at the same pace as they would have been pre-COVID-19. And, and the same thing, really, we're seeing new work coming in all the time in the logistics sector. I think it's likely to continue, actually, because if you think about it, we're all now at home ordering things online instead of you know going out to the shops to get things and I think that's going to continue for as long as, as social distancing is in place and people are a bit apprehensive or self-isolating so I think there's really positive signs there in the in the sector generally. I think to add to that I think a Brexit and now COVID-19 I think it's escalated how much the, the country relies on uh, import so I think we're going to start looking at a lot more self-manufacturing, self-production, like industry being brought onshore. So I think that, again, will drive demand. So on the, on the other side of that, what are some of the key challenges that you're, you're sort of currently dealing with? So, I mean, if you, if you take COVID-19 as the obvious um, topic of conversation, 
when it all first started, I must admit, Eddie and I were having some sleepless nights at the very beginning in terms of for the first 24, 48, 72 hours in terms of what we're going to do with the staff. Are the sites going to remain operational? Uh, what can and can't we do? And obviously the messages from the government were as confusing as... Uh, as, as anything so uh, the first the first few days were a li little bit touchy but we managed to we managed to maintain almost all of our sites operationally uh, which is testament to to us and our staff by obviously at all times adhering to the to the measures that we needed to put in place the covid you know the restrictions and uh, the two meter distancing and the like and we've actually had um, a fair few accolades from our clients through the course of the last few, well, couple of months, few weeks, by doing exactly that, by keeping the sites operational. You know, obviously the clients still want to deliver or want us to deliver their, their buildings on time. Obviously they want us to do it in a safe manner um, because everyone's got the uh, responsibility to do that. And we've done that. Whereas some of our competitors, for some reason, um, that's their choices of just shut shop. So we've managed to keep the sites operational. So the challenges have been logistically quite difficult but now we're in a bit of a role all of our staff have kept working a lot of them are from home the office was shut we didn't need to operate the office uh, in, in the true sense of the word as it was before but we're now it's actually become quite positive in the way in which we may look at the way some of the practices we might adopt going forward i mean for example teams meetings zoom meetings you know eddie and i are often traveling around the country we can now do forecast reviews which we might do two a day if you like, in the old-fashioned way, going to site. Don't get me wrong, it's always good to go to site. But if you've already been to site, you can get the video footage from the sites, people on phones, you know, cameras. We've got our own drone, so we can fly the drone around so we get to see the site. Um, and we can do five forecasts in a day. So people working from home, the way in which people communicate in the meetings, it's actually turning into more of a positive at the moment. What the fallout and impact will be going forward, who knows, but that, that remains to be seen. So just to add to that, I think some of the challenges we're facing on the coal face out on site is a, a lot of the statutory bodies, so the um, electricity, water, gas, they're shut up, they're doing only emergency works. That's one of the challenges, that's, and that's driving the delays on site, unfortunately. Mm. In terms of material provision subcontractors and supply chains, we're seeing very little disruption, but there was some initial nervousness, some subcontractors shut down, but, and some of the material suppliers shut down their factories and the manufacturing slowed up. However, that's all releasing now and we're going to, there was always alternative suppliers, so we managed to maintain programs throughout. I think production dropped to perhaps 90%. We introduced additional measures in line with the, the Construction Leadership Council sort of measures, one to measures five, four now I think it is. So there's additional welfare, there's additional drying rooms, changing facilities, staggered working hours, staggered use of the canteens. And we have like COVID managers on our sites where they're out just maintain, making sure we maintain social distancing and just keep in line with public health england sort of guidelines emily anything uh, i was going to say to sort of build on on chris's comments about the use of tech actually the the standout thing for for me and hopefully it's making guys like chris and eddie's life easier is issuing documents electronically for signature yeah. instead of sending yeah. boxes and boxes of yeah, warranties and subcontracts and that kind of thing i mean it's it's been a real eye-opener if you said to me three months ago we'd be sending stuff out electronically i'd have laughed at you so yeah. um, <laughs> i think that's fantastic and actually hopefully that will continue even when people are back in the office yeah it'd be Very really interesting to see what um what the kind of longer term impact is because we have had to kind of embrace quite a lot of change very quickly yeah. um so it'll be interesting to see which of those kind of just continue as part yeah. of normal life one of our clients is at the fore forefront of um of all those docu signs all of their contracts and it's it 
just as good as the paper, wet paper mm. copy, you know, less archiving as well, although that might be a detriment, <laughs> that, might be, that might be a detriment to uh, the warehousing side of things, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think it's, it's fair to say logistic occupiers are increasingly sophisticated in terms of the tech that they want to operate within their space. How does that impact on the build process, Eddie, and does it make it more complicated if you're building on a speculative basis rather than pre-let? Uh, on a speculative basis, you're not incorporating any of the tenant-led requirement. So it's always better to have that, that sort of information in, and that's all to do with design because you design the, 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 the sort of function of the building should dictate the form. And the problem with speculative units is the form's there. So the function is almost being made to work inside that. We do these um, customer fulfillment centers for Ocado and the function dictates the form. The, you have freezers, you have ambient, you have chill and the designs associated with that are far reaching and the, the implications can be significant. There's some units that just won't be appropriate to go into because of the, the sort of historical structure, the, so the historical design. They wouldn't be able to go in. You'd have steps, you'd have all sorts of abortive works and site works and that leads to cost. Okay, so six months to a year ago, um, we were talking about this earlier, there's lots of press coverage on uh, multi-storey warehousing. Do you think that's going to gain further traction in practice? And if so, what are some of the practical issues around constructing multi-storey sheds, Eddie? Um, I think it is something that will definitely go ahead, uh, but it will need a lot of someone to take that leap of faith. We understand there's one coming to market soon in East London, and we're looking at one in West London currently. The problem you have is there's not a lot of land, and they're not making more land. So the only way you can go is existing land is to go up. The challenges with that would be planning, uh, would be the cost, because the cost of the structure and the load you're putting into the ground would be significant. So the, the, the sort of rents and such things might make that unachievable i'm not sure but last mile delivery certainly i can see that coming out of multi-story warehousing and you mentioned um sheds with beds as well i think you, you, you coined it didn't you yeah there's a been discussions <laughs> on that quite a few times uh beds on sheds so that's like hotels and flats that's on top one. of sheds <laughs> i think um i think that has its challenges um planning wise and such things but also acoustically i'm not sure i'd want to be staying in a in a hotel bed or living in a flat above a warehouse <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and finally, just looking forward, what is Glencar's vision for, for the future? Yeah, okay, I think the, I think the future is bright, um, to coin a phrase, but um, I think we obviously, we all need to get through the current situation, as, as, we, as we touched on earlier, you know, who knows what the future holds in that regard, but we're, we're well placed to manage that, to deliver that, you know, we've got a great team, we've got a great business, and um, I think if we continue doing what we're doing, because there's nothing wrong with what we're doing, uh, and as the saying goes, if it's not broke, why fix it? So we want to build upon what we're doing well at the moment. Our growth will be dictated by our people. You know, people is our biggest asset. Um, so we need to maintain and retain those guys and um, and diversify it in a way, you know, we don't want all our eggs in one basket, but as we've touched on throughout this podcast, you know, the, the distribution, the logistics is a growing market, it's a sustainable market, and I believe we're in the right market to allow us as a business to continue our growth, to maintain our growth for the foreseeable. So um, I think we're doing everything we need to do, we're doing it right, and um, we're ready for the challenge. I think agility is key there. I think because we're quite a small organization relative to our some of our competitors we can react quicker and we're quite agile and what the new normal becomes we hopefully be in a position to react quite quickly to great thanks so much for joining me today it's been really interesting to hear your perspectives particularly at this sort of 
very challenging time. If listeners would like to tune into any other More Than Law podcasts, you can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To learn more about Glencar, go to glencar.com or to see more news and views from Forsters, you can visit our website, forsters.co.uk or you can find us on all the usual social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And until next time, goodbye. Forster's More Than Law podcast is for general information only and should not be considered to be professional advice. Forster's LLP accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct or consequential loss arising from the use of, reliance on or reference to this podcast. Forster's LLP makes no warranty or representation as to the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast. The More Than Law podcast and all copyright in it is the property of Forster's LLP and it should not be used, reproduced or quoted, whether in whole or part, without Forster's LLP's prior written consent.